Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, good morning. All right. Is that you, little man? That was loud. That was awesome. Thanks, bud. Hey, let's pray before we uh, dive in. Dear Lord, uh, and just come before you, Lord, we ask that uh, as we dive into your word, as we look at another question that you asked, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts, tune our ears to hear from you this morning. Lord, I pray that your words would penetrate our hearts and souls. Lord, I thank you for this moment, this story in scripture, this powerful time just one, what it means for us today. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. It's in your son Jesus' name. Amen. She will wake up well before the sun rises. She'll get out of bed in her tiny little house where there's her bed, the dining room, and the kitchen all in one little space, and she will go and make herself a cup of tea Then she will put on her big jacket, the big hood that covers her face. She will grab her cup of tea. She will walk out the door and begin to make her way down the streets, back to the home that she grew up in. She'll go left down Apple and right down Pear Street, and then she will see her house. Everything inside of her wants to run through the gate, through the front door, down the hallway to mom and dad's room and give them a big hug. But she's not allowed to. She can't go into that gate. She can't touch that gate. So she will stand a few feet away, and she will spend those early morning hours just crying. And then she will whisper, Happy Father's Day, Dad. I miss you. I love you. Maybe next year I'll be good. Maybe next year I'll be better. Maybe next year I'll be healed, where I could spend Father's Day with you. I've got a decade's worth of presents for you, Dad. I love you. And she will spend the next few hours crying until the sun peeks up over the horizon. And it's time for her now to head back home because people are going to start to wake up. And she's not allowed to be out in town like that. So she will make her way back down Pear Street, back down Apple Street, back into her tiny little home where she will close the door, lock it, and she will spend the rest of the day in bed crying. Another day, another holiday, birthdays, she's missed. She will cry herself to sleep that night. She will wake up the next morning to absolute chaos happening in the town. She can hear hundreds of people running by her door. She can hear all the voices, the excitement. She doesn't know what's going on, so she will grab her jacket, put that hood on, walk out the door, and she will follow the people into town. And when she gets into town, she will see the massive crowd, and she starts to hear what they're all excited about, the one that they've heard about, the one who does the miracles, the one who does the teachings, the one who's this amazing healer, he's in their town. And the people are all excited. And so she will stand a few feet away from the crowd, making sure nobody can see her, making sure nobody knows she's there, looking for an opening in the crowd to where she can get up to the front. And then she'll see the little boy that walks by. 
And she'll notice every time little man says, excuse me, two people will separate to let the little boy make his way up. So that's her crack. That's her way up. So she'll follow the little boy. And every time he says, excuse me, and two people separate, she'll slide in between them. And she will weave her way left and right through the crowd until she gets to the front of the crowd and she will get on her hands and knees, making sure nobody can see her, making sure nobody notices because she's not supposed to be there. And so she will sit down there and she will watch his feet pass by until she sees his robe pass by. And she will reach out and touch a little tassel. And immediately something changes. She knows it. She hopes nobody else does. She starts to back up, and she will stand up, hoping that she can disappear in the crowd. And as she turns to walk away, she will hear his question. It freezes her in her tracks because she was hoping to disappear. And she thinks the question might be for her. So she'll stop, and she'll begin to turn back. And as she turns back, she will make eye contact with Dad. She's crying. He's crying. Everything inside of dad wants to protect his baby girl at this moment. Everything inside of dad wants to tell her to run. Everything inside of dad wants to grab her, hold her, protect her from everybody else. But dad knows he's not allowed to. Can't get close enough to her. He can't touch her. So she'll cry and dad will cry. And then she'll keep making her way around until she sees him. And he's staring right into her eyes. His question is directed right at her. We've been going through this series, looking at the questions that Jesus asked, and the lens of Scripture has taken us right in to this moment, her eyes meeting his. And the question he asked, I think, I think there's a question for some of you today. Because there's something that happens in this moment when he asks this question, an exchange from him to her that I think might be for some of you today. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 5, verse 24. It says, And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Listen, there was three major problems for this woman. Okay, first is the medical condition, bleeding for 12 years. And you can imagine what was done to her to try to find healing with first century medicine at that time. They don't know what we know about blood and disease. They don't have the technology we have. So you can imagine the experiments that were done on this young lady and for 12 years to her body. This major medical condition where she has tried everything. The Jewish Talmud has 11 possible remedies for somebody that would be bleeding like this. And there are these like superstitious prescriptions. One of them, placing the ashes of an osher's egg in a cloth sack or carrying around a barley kernel, barley corn kernel found in female donkey dung. What is that going to do for you? She tried everything possible. Major medical problem. 
she also has a major financial problem. She has spent every dime she has trying to find a cure, trying to find a remedy. My bet is mom and dad have spent every dime they got. My bet is they've asked every family friend and loan shark in town for every dollar possible to find a remedy. Nothing has worked. She's in a major financial problem. And then she has a major spiritual problem because this lady grew up in a Jewish city, in a Jewish society, in a society that followed the rules of the law. And Leviticus 15 is an entire chapter on how you are to handle blood, what you do with blood. And verse 25 in Leviticus 15 goes into real detail. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As of the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge... She shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be cleaned. And on the eighth day, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. I know that was a lot of menstrual impurity. My bet is if I would have started off with Leviticus 15, there would have been a lot less cheers for the Bible at that moment. Listen. Here's what that's saying. For 12 years, she has been bleeding. For 12 years, there has not been a day five, day six, day seven. Now day eight, I can go offer my sacrifice. Uh, now I'm clean for my sins. Uh, for 12 years, she has had to walk around, according to Jewish law, walk around and yell, unclean. Every time she was around people, because people had to see, okay, you're unclean. I got to keep a safe distance from you. I also have to watch what you touch, because what you touch is now unclean, so I can't touch what you touch. For 12 years, socially an outcast, spiritually left out, for 12 years, she could not go to the place where they worship. For 12 years, she was not allowed in the church. For 12 years, everything about her was left out. She was kicked out, unwanted, uninvited, unlovable for 12 years. And yet we find her in the midst of this crowd, and there's something different about her. There's something different about the one in the crowd. You see, there's a significant difference between being around Jesus and placing our faith in Jesus. The crowd wanted to be around Jesus. The crowd wanted another miracle. The crowd wanted another amazing teaching. Oh, they all wanted to be around Jesus, but she had a level of faith in Jesus. Scripture tells us she heard about the stories, so she would have remembered what happened just a few nights ago, because Mark writes about it just a few verses before this. A few nights ago, when there was this crazy storm, she would have walked out and looked, and she would have saw the massive waves crashing over boats. She would have saw boats being tossed left and right. She would have remembered the howling of that wind. It was a storm like she had never seen before, and then all of a sudden, it just stopped. She would have heard the story of how Jesus was on one of those boats and those seasoned fishermen called his disciples 
were all panicked and freaked out thinking that they were going to drown because it's a storm they've never seen before. And they go and wake him up. And Jesus in three words says, peace be still and wind and sea just stop. Oh, she remembers the stories. She remembered hearing about how when he came to their town, that before he actually walked into their town, the first person he walked into was the only other person in their town that was more of an outcast than her, the demon-possessed guy that lives in the tombs. And Jesus walks up and says, what is your name? He says, Legion, for we are many. And in a few words, he cast out all these demons, 2,000 into pigs. And then they go running off a cliff and down and drown. Oh, she remembers the stories. You see, she has this faith that says, I don't need him to see me. I don't need him to touch me. I don't even need him to talk to me. I just need to talk to him. I just need to touch him. You see, it's a faith not in the clothing. Her faith was in the person of Jesus Christ, the miracle-working teacher who made the lame to walk and blind to see, who made the lepers clean and demon-possessed free. She had faith in him, not his clothes. There's this huge difference between showing up to church or calling out to God in a moment of need and putting our faith in him. Everyone wants the miracle working Jesus. Everyone wants the self-help Jesus. Everybody wants the Jesus that answers my prayers, my way, and my timing. Everybody wants that Jesus, but one brought faith. It's the grasp of her faith that brought healing, not the grasp of her clothes. And Jesus is walking through this crowd on his way to Jairus' house to save Jairus' 12-year-old daughter who is dying. He's on his way to do a different miracle. And in the moment of walking through the crowd, one reaches out and touches that stops Jesus because one brought something different than all of the rest in the crowd. Verse 30. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? In Luke's account of this, it says, who touched me? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? My bet is this is Peter. I think a lot of times when Peter speaks, there seems to be a, like, there's no filter between what he thinks in his head and what comes out of his mouth. So Jesus says, who touched me? And Peter's like, oh, one, two, three couple hundred, couple hundred Jesus. <laughs> like it just immediately responds. Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus recognized power had gone out from him. He recognized in a moment, there's a whole crowd around him. I promise you, there's other people touching Jesus. He recognized the one. Power had gone out from him. And I think this speaks to an important truth about the nature of God. Divine power is not an impersonal cosmic force somehow detached from its sovereign source. Rather, God is personally engaged in every act of power from creation to redemption, from the providential sustaining of the universe. God feels it all. Jesus is walking through this crowd, going to Jairus' house. My bet is Jairus is pulling Jesus through the crowd, trying to save his 12-year-old little girl, and he is pulling Jesus through, and something happens. Jesus notices power left him. He feels it all, and this young lady is sitting there hoping she could disappear in the crowd, and she is now turned. She heard the question, and her eyes Meet his. 12 years she has faced fear, embarrassment, and rejection 
But this moment, she is now gripped with a different type of fear. Her heart was gripped with the holy fear as the reality of what had just happened began to sink in. And she will fall on her knees and with tears and a trembling voice explain the past 12 years to Jesus. I've been bleeding for 12 years. I've been unclean. I've tried every remedy possible. Nothing has worked. Everything's made it worse. I've been cut off from family, from friends, from society. I'm not allowed to go to church. And actually, Jesus, here's the worst part. I made you unclean by touching you. Nobody could touch what she touched. By her reaching out and touching Jesus, according to Jewish law, she makes him unclean. She tells him the whole truth. She drops it all. And here's the thing. Jesus wants our whole truth or none of it. Maybe you've heard Jesus wants to be part of your life. Maybe you grew up in church hearing something like that. He wants to be part of your life. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross, die on the cross, take the beating and the punishment, die on the cross, raise again three days later, defeating sin in the grave to simply be part of our lives. The woman tells him the whole truth, not part of her story. She tells him everything that has happened in the last 12 years. And I think she would also be confessing then, because it says whole truth, she confessed everything she did outside of Jewish law to try to find healing. Every magic, every other false god that she tried to worship from other cultures, because everything according to Jewish law wasn't healing her or wasn't working. So she's had 12 years of doing everything else to practice, everything the world has to offer to try to find healing, and nothing has worked. If she's telling Jesus the whole truth, she's telling him all of it. All the sin, all the guilt, all the shame, everything she's done and everything that's ever been done to her, she is unloading all of it on Jesus in this moment. Everything, every detail. She's not using, I think, what we often do. I think we like to use words when we kind of confess stuff uh, to God. We like to use words that are really broad. Like, I struggle, God forgive me, I struggle with lust. But we don't want to go into detail the way she's going into detail. God, I struggle with lust. I don't want to talk about what I looked at last night online or my phone, but then came to church this morning and I'm going to raise my hands. I just want to cover it with lust. I just want to, I want a basic here or a broad term of anger. God, I struggle with anger, but I'm not going to really confess the fact that there was on my way to church this morning, there was a finger I threw up at somebody that cut me off in traffic. Or um, I struggle with anger, but I don't want to talk about the actual anger and thoughts I've had towards my coworker or my boss or my spouse or my kids or my whoever. Or God, I struggle with jealousy. And here's the real thing that I struggle with when it comes to jealousy is God, if you would have given me the gifts and talents that they have, I'd be better off. So now as created being, I am telling creator, as human being, I am telling God, you made a mistake in the way you created me. I know what scripture says, that you formed me in my mother's womb, that you know exactly who I am, that you designed me on purpose and with a purpose, with my gifts, my talents, my personality. You did this on purpose, but God, if you would have created me like them, it would be better for me. So God, I think you made a mistake. I don't want to go into that kind of detail. So I use broad terms. See, our faith, I think, sometimes looks like an accessory to an outfit. It's a watch. It's a necklace. It's an accessory to my life. There when I need it. 
makes me look good or feel good. Listen, Jesus did not go to the cross for you or for me to simply be an accessory piece to our life. It's an all or nothing kind of thing with Jesus. In Luke 14, 26 through 30, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What Jesus is saying when he says count the cost is, hey, it's going to cost all of you. I want all of you, not part of you. It's all or nothing because he didn't go to the cross to simply be part of our life. He gave up everything. He went to the cross and died for us. Took the pain, took the punishment, took my sin and took it, bore it. We just sang songs about it, died for us. So if it's going to cost him his life, it's going to cost me mine. But here's the amazing thing is when I give up my life to follow him, I actually find eternal life and true life in him. It's that trade that Pastor Greg talked about when we're taking communion. I leave my life and my desires and my wants and everything I had planned, and I get back eternal life in Jesus. We will find her on her hands and knees, tears streaming, trembling voice, confessing it all to Jesus, and I will bet every dollar I got, the crowd has all types of names they are throwing out at her. And my bet is they are hoping and waiting for Jesus to bring down all the power of heaven, that power that calms the storm with the words, that power that casts out demons out of the, the uh, demon-possessed man, the power that restores sight to blind and heals sick and makes the lame walk. He is going to bring all the power of heaven down. For sure, this is what the crowd is wanting because for sure they are thinking, she just touched Jesus, which makes Jesus unclean. So Jesus is going to bring down all the power of heaven on her. Oh, my bet is, is they're thinking Jesus is going to bring down all the power of heaven because she never yelled out unclean and she walked through all the crowd. There's a whole bunch of us that have been touched by her and we've been touching each other and all the, now we're all unclean. And my bet is they are waiting for Jesus to bring down all the power of heaven. And boy, does he do it. In verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, Daughter, out of all the names that she's being called in this moment, out of all the names she has been called in the last 12 years, I bet you this is not one she expected to hear in this moment. Daughter. She hasn't heard that name in 12 years. Daughter. She's heard you're unlovable, you're unclean, you're unwanted, you're uninvited, you're disgusting. She's heard a lot of names. She did not expect to hear daughter. In Scripture, there's one time where Jesus specifically calls somebody daughter. It's reserved for her. Unlovable, unwanted, uninvited, outcast, disgusting, get out of here. Nobody wants you. Nobody likes you. 
You're making our town dirty. You're making us unclean. Her. She gets daughter. Jesus took all that power and he calls her daughter. I first learned on September 20th, 2017, the power of that word. My baby girl was born. Since September 20th, 2017, I have never been able to read that little statement the same way again. Because here's what Jesus is saying. When he says daughter, he says she's mine. When he says daughter, he says you have a problem with her, you have a problem with me. When he says daughter, he is saying everything everyone has ever said about you is not how I see you. You're mine. Daughter. I think there's some of you that maybe haven't heard been called son or daughter in a very long time. Haven't been called that name in a very long time. There's a heavenly father who says, you put your faith in my son, Jesus. You're my son, my daughter, you're mine. You see, Jesus restores her physically, but by calling her daughter in front of the crowd, he has now restored her socially. And the most important thing he did was he restored her spiritually. He will finish, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She's healed completely, physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, everything. It is a complete healing. The word used uh, for made you well is sozo in the New Testament. It's often used for being saved from sin. It's the same word that is used in Mark 10, 52, when Jesus restores sight to a blind man. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Or in Luke 7, when the prostitute woman washes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman had a severe medical condition, and she gets physical healing, which reunites her with her family and with religious life. She gets a social healing where she is no longer an outcast in society. But most importantly, she gets a spiritual healing, salvation. That means she is now reconciled to God. You see, salvation is unattainable without surrender. This woman surrendered it all to him. Every sin, every guilt, every shame, she confesses it all. Listen, there's a God who says every guilt, every shame, every burden, everything you've ever done, everything that's ever been done to you, it can be forgiven. My son went to the cross. He paid that. You put your faith in him. You put your faith and your trust in him that, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. It can all be forgiven. But if it cost him the death of his one and only son, then what it's going to cost us is surrendering it all to him. It's a trade-off. Surrender. It's the whole truth. Look at Jesus' ministry. Look at the woman at the well. The woman at the well says she wants salvation. What is Jesus' response to her? Cool. Let's talk about everything. Let's talk about your sex life. You're right to say the man you're with isn't your husband. You have five husbands. The one you're with now is not yours. Let's talk about your sex life, how you handle your sexuality and what you do with it. Let's talk about it. Look at Peter. Peter, you want salvation? Let's talk about the worst mistake you've ever made, your most embarrassing night, the most regretful moment you've ever had. Let's talk about you denying me three times. 
Well, he wants it all. And surrender with all of it. And the amazing thing about it is we surrender it all. We think we're feeling guilt and shame and we're going to get condemnation. And the crowd wanted condemnation. The crowd wanted the power of heaven to come down on her. And the response we get with God is, daughter, or son, you are loved. Mercy, grace, and forgiveness. You see, Jesus wants all of us. He didn't die for part of our life. It's whole and complete surrender. So many times in Jesus' ministry, there is a crowd. There's always a crowd around Jesus. But the stories are rarely about the crowd. So oftentimes in Jesus' ministry, so many times in the Gospels, the story is about one or a few in the crowd. It's rarely about the crowd. Some of you maybe have been coming to church for a very long time, your entire life. Maybe there's not a Sunday you can think of that you have not been in church. And for others of you, this may be your first Sunday. For those of us in person and those of us online, we are all part of the crowd. But I think, I believe, there's a few of you, maybe God has been calling, that he's been pulling back. Come back to him. I believe that there may be a few of you that today's the day you actually stand out from the crowd. Today's your moment. Listen, this young lady should have never heard that word daughter. But it's a loving God with unbelievable mercy and unbelievable grace his response to her, his daughter. Sure, you might have made me unclean by touching me according to the Jewish law, but listen, I'm my daughter. Maybe today is that day for you to just give him all of it. Surrender it all. The guilt, the shame, the sin, everything you've done and everything that's ever been done to you. Maybe today is a day where God is just going to look at you and go, You're mine. Son, daughter, you're mine. Let's pray. Listen, I do believe that um, maybe there's a few of you here, whether it's in person or online. Maybe today is that day for you. That you feel God tugging on your heart, calling you back, son and daughter. You want to give it all to him. You could pray something like this out loud. You could pray it in your heart. Dear Lord, I know I'm broken. I know I'm a sinner. My guilt, my shame, everything I've ever done. I know that should separate me from you forever. But I put my faith in your son, Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. He rose again three days later. And because of that, he paid the price for me. His blood covers me. So I ask that you would come and live inside of me in the person of your Holy Spirit. You bring healing, forgiveness, mercy, grace, 
you would take control. Because just like this lady, I have tried everything the world has to offer and nothing has helped. So Lord, I give my life to you. Listen, if you uh, prayed that prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you have prayed that prayer first time, you actually meant it today, I'm going to ask you just to do one simple thing. Just raise your hand, make eye contact with me. You can do that now. If you prayed that prayer, you asked Jesus into your life, you can look at me, raise your hand. I would love to pray for you. It's awesome. I see you over here. See you guys over here. Anybody more on the left? Anybody down the middle? Anybody on my right hand side? Hey, if uh, you did that online, please just let somebody know in the chat. Dear Lord, you see the hands that are raised. You know what's happening in people's hearts. Lord, I pray that they would feel right now the response that you gave this young woman. Son, daughter, that they are yours. I pray that you bring healing in every way. Do what only you can do, Father. Lord, I pray that you get all the honor and glory. Lord, we thank you. Thank you. The fact that we are called sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.